1: Hi there and welcome again to the Explaining History podcast and today in the continued kind of micro-analysis that I'm doing of Nazism, we're going to look at Hitler's style of leadership. Now obviously this is something that is immensely kind of uh, popularised in popular culture, uh, dare I say mythologized, and something that's actually quite misunderstood And so it's important to kind of go through it with a a fine-tooth comb and look at the kind of transition between Hitler as leadership of a mass movement, which at times looked as if it has no chance of accessing power, and then Hitler as the leader of a modern state. And the two circumstances are really quite different, though obviously Hitler tries to transition over the behaviours from one period in his political career to another. The Nazi movement before 1933 is unlike most modern political parties in that it's really an organisation that is there to mobilise its uh, support base expand that support base and to try to bring about as much kind of energy and activism, and action as possible, with as wide a section of the population as possible. Um, and this all is uh, the philosophy of Nazism and fascism in general, uh, Are that this is possible through a dynamic leader. That dynamic leader will inspire the population, will offer something really to everybody, will offer a a guaranteed solution to any problem that appears to have uh, arisen. And the inherent contradictions in these promises and the uh, inherent conflicts between competing interest groups within society that look to gain something from the, uh, the leader that all gets swept to one side and people who bring up these unfortunate questions are labelled as enemies or traitors or saboteurs and that sort of um, vitriolic attack. And instead an appeal to um, deep emotional and romantic notions of nation, patriotism, um, racial collectivism And the uh, long story of Germany from Charlemagne onwards um, all the way through to a kind of a a period of crisis and disruption um, normally associated with some nefarious enemy, the Jews, uh, communism, trade unionism, Catholicism and uh, Freemasonry were kind of the, the top enemies. And the ability to, uh, for Hitler to help Germany reconnect with its uh, supposedly imagined past would then help produce and project and uh, propel Germany into a glorious utopian future. And there is there are two kinds of imaginings here, really, aren't there? The, the imagined past and the imagined future and the crisis-ridden present. And if you can... Keep your audience thinking about that process, about the glories of the past and the planned glories of the future, then the inadequacy of the policies suggested in the crisis-ridden present don't really matter so much. And this this is the trick with kind of populism and, and fascism, uh, in general, that um, the substance of what is being offered rarely uh, gets to face public scrutiny. Particularly, uh, instead, broad visions are articulated, and this is what Hitler was particularly good at. After 1933, it's a different story, though. Making populist pledges to all and sundry, offering uh, jam on Tuesday and jam on Wednesday, and being able to say um, that all interest groups will automatically uh, ultimately, benefit all of the time. That's not possible because statecraft is all about making hard decisions between competing choices and the basis of an understanding of priorities and doing that with the um, minimum amount of um, feathers ruffled but also with as much information as possible. And Hitler, his, his personality... Really prevented him from engaging in the serious work of government. This, these kinds of uh, unfortunate decisions that elected prime ministers and presidents around the world, with one notable exception at the moment, um, have to engage in. Um, the, this is really the kind of the the, um, the ugly business of, of politics. Hitler shrank from that, um, perhaps because. Hitler didn't wish to uh, have to uh, appear unpopular, have to tell, tell certain interest groups that his um, pledges couldn't be fulfilled. But, or the fact that Hitler was basically a propagandist as opposed to a political operator. Hitler was um, not suited to this uh, type of, of politics, He had no real um, political background in the conventional sense. He hadn't been part of um, Germany's established political parties. The Nazis are a kind of uh, an outsider protest movement as opposed to a political party such as the Centre Party or the Social Democratic Party. And Hitler didn't view himself as that kind of politician anyway. He viewed himself as an inspirational figure. His role, quite simply, was to articulate what he viewed as the wishes and the will of the German people. He was there as their inspirer. He was not there to be a bureaucrat. Hitler rejected that completely. In part because of his inherent tendency towards indolence and idleness and his quite chaotic and what Richard J. Evans calls a bohemian personality He was far suited to the kind of rather idle life that he'd spent in Vienna in the years before the First World War, um, to the regimented and organised daily routine of high office. But also, Hitler's view of what politics was, or what his brand of politics was, was fundamentally at odds with um, the way that it normally um, transpired. Hitler believed that politics was really about inspiration and that once the masses were mobilised through the words of the inspirational leader then not much else really had any relevance that the masses um, as a kind of a racial body would um, move forth and conquer economically, socially and militarily all opponents. Um, This was obviously a kind of a, a, a fantasy notion of how societies work, but it was deeply embedded within Hitler's thinking. And if you look at Mein Kampf, if you can bear to read any of it, uh, not because of its offensiveness, just generally because it's utterly dull. Um, it's the, these notions are are in there. Hitler didn't really have an understanding about how policy ideas become translated into actual um, political change. How you know vague notions of how to reorder a society are translated into the the work of of the state. Um, and Hitler didn't really see politics as anything more than the actions of great individuals. He looked to figures such as um, Frederick III and Napoleon and thought that these men, with a wave of their sabre, got things done. And if you look at European fascisms in general, there is a wave of this kind of slightly ignorant, um, dare I call it kind of romanticism, uh, about the heroic individual, um, part of the the kind of the, the early ideas of fascism that date back before the First World War were this uh, were based around this kind of quandary about what to do in an age of mass politics, in an age of mass democracy and mass organisations which was really um, emerging at the end of the 19th century in terms of uh, mass electorates uh, the enfranchisement of women and uh, the development of large organisations like trade unions and the the question that the proto-fascists, various kind of romanticists and intellectuals across Europe pose themselves is, well what will happen to the individual when there is all this kind of conformity will we have a period of um, you know, mob rule—the likes of which um, liberal thinkers and, and like Edmund Burke railed against uh, in the, the the period of the French Revolution—or or will we all be conf- consigned to this kind of dull, robotic, automaton conformity, where the individual is 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 dead and gone? And the fascists, uh, the proto-fascists, really said, um, "Well, no." What will emerge in order to counter this threat of um, mass democracy and um, mass socialism will be not countless individuals, uh, but one, one heroic leader. And again, this is a, a very romantic um, notion that draws from you know ideas of the Middle Ages and knights and kings and all that sort of thing. Um, and brings that into um, modernity, and the crises of modernity. And fascism was based around this this idea, and you look at uh, the, uh, the Duce in um, uh, Italy, um, the Fuhrer in Germany. And the Franco is termed caudillo, which means the kind of personal rule of a military leader in, in Spain, And this is the the common intellectual thread within fascisms. Another strand of Hitler's thinking was that intellectualism and expertise knowledge, skill and uh, practice were nothing compared to willpower. Simple, raw determination to get something done using um, the ability to Um, criticize, berate, bully, and intimidate, and also the power to inspire adulation amongst the masses. These were the ways in which change actually happened, not planning and expertise. There are numerous times...
0: When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring.
1: in which uh, experts approach Hitler to point out the difficulties created by his policies and he uh, shoos them away with his own simple brand of uh, contradictory thinking. A great example is when the head of IG Farben, Karl Bosch, went to visit Hitler in 1933 to complain about the arrest or and um, the persecution of uh, Jewish physicists working for um, IG Farben, and Hitler's response was, "If Germany has to do without physics for a hundred years, then that is better than having a Jew involved for for one day." I I, I paraphrase there, um, and the the kind of anti-intellectualism. Um, that was um, exhibited in, in that exchange is, is rife throughout Hitler's, um, Hitler's thinking. Um, so here is part of the memoirs of Fritz Weidmann, one of Hitler's adjutants. and um, This comes from um, Noakes and Pridham's uh, Fascism and Documentary Reader. And um, he responds to Hitler's style of work. In 1935, Hitler kept to a reasonably ordered daily routine. Gradually, this orderly routine, work routine broke down. Later, Hitler normally appeared shortly before lunch, uh, quickly read through the Reich press chief Otto Dietrich's press cuttings, and then went to lunch. So it became more and more difficult for Lammers and Meissner, his uh, chiefs of staff, um, to get him to make decisions which he alone could make as head of state. When Hitler stayed at the Ober Salzburg, it was even worse. The Ober Salzburg being the, Hitler's uh, retreat in Bavaria. There, he, le- he never left his room before 2pm. Then he went to lunch. He spent most afternoons taking a walk. In the evening, straight after dinner, there were films. There can be no question of Hitler's work habits being similar to those that should be attributed to Frederick the Great or Napoleon. He disliked the study of documents, and sometimes secured decisions from him, even ones about important matters, without his ever asking to see the relevant files. He took the view that many things sorted themselves out on their own, if one did not interfere, and he was by no means wrong about that. But the question was, how did they sort themselves out? The party leaders found it easiest to get something out of him, if they belonged to the top they could always come to lunch during coffee in the winter garden uh, they quickly explained their problem to him and normally got the decision they wanted it was not surprising that the state officers were outmanoeuvred he let people tell him things he wanted to hear everything else he rejected one still sometimes hears the view that Hitler would have done the right thing if the people surrounding him had not kept him wrongly informed Hitler refused to let himself be informed. Unfortunately, that was not only the case in domestic affairs but foreign affairs as well. How can one tell someone the truth who immediately gets angry when the facts do not suit him? Perhaps that may have been part of his strength. I once discussed with Hess uh, Hitler's characteristic of simply refusing to accept certain things. Hess told me that this was already the case during the time of struggle and gave me an example. Hitler repeatedly gave the Reich party treasurer instructions to let him have, say, 200,000 Reichmarks on the following day. If Schwartz replied, you can't have it, there's no money in the coffers, Hitler invariably replied, I don't care, the money must be there by tomorrow. And it was always there. Schwartz had somehow got it together. Do you see, Hess continued, in this way... Hitler gradually got used to being able to overcome all objections, and he's still doing it now. So, from Hesse's point of view, the party had been, I guess, a terrible education for Hitler. The party had educated Hitler in the notion that his idea of willpower and unreason, of verbal brute force, bullying and um, hectoring, and demanding the impossible, was actually the way in which change happened. And of course, because Hitler had already dismissed the idea that democratic structures of government with established bureaucracies, um, checks and limitations on power, um, the rule of law, and the normal structures of um, bureaucratic systems, he'd already uh, convinced himself, that these were the source of all Germany's problems and that they were sclerotic and decaying systems that would be kicked aside and that um, people such as he would be the future. There was no question that he would uh, temper his views when he came to power. The style of leadership came partly from his personality and also due to the fact that um, during the time of struggle from Nineteen eighteen to thirty-three, he had adapted to the mass movement he created, but also it came from the performance of the uh, act of Führer, of charismatic leader. Um, the theatrics of Hitler's role um, that Hitler was had seemed to have mastered uh, was an inherent part of his politics. In a way, for most conventional political leaders, it isn't. Obviously, you know there are all manner of um, political orators and operators within democratic politics, but they don't manage to uh, capture the notion of um, spectacle uh, that um, Hitler or other fascist leaders do. And because of this, um, because of this sort of performer. Um, that Hitler had become, he'd kept himself really aloof from the the, the mundanity of day to day politics, um, rather as you know film stars and pop stars don't reveal that they are ordinary people who go to the supermarket as it sort of shatters this notion of this, this mystique the the uh, notion that Hitler um, was divorced from all these kinds of things. He he believed in his um, supporters' eyes uh, retained for him a certain kind of mystique that he didn't grubby uh, his hands with the the work that normal mortals did. So this gives us another clue as to where the chaos in Nazi Germany comes from. That periodically you get a dictatorship without a present dictator. Um, of course, Hitler would have been looked to by um, civil servants and other members of the party, to be a decision-maker and to uh, give instructions. But when he was absent, such as his long, break, long periods of absence from Berlin, there was um, a decline, a decrease in Hitler's hands-on involvement uh, in decision-making, and therefore within the Third Reich, a vacuum developed. This vacuum, as Hitler becomes a more strident international figure in the second half of the 1930s, I think begins to close. But you also find this vacuum re-emerging during the Second World War as Hitler actually becomes more and more physically ill. And as the war turns against Germany, less and less able to cope with the strains of being a war leader. And while Hitler did not want the bureaucratic role of coordinator, of um, of delegator, of organising a cabinet into specific tasks with an overall strategy, he didn't want anybody else to do it either. He viewed that as uh, entirely risky. And as I've said in previous podcasts, he hamstrung the workings of um, the normative system of government by creating alternative, rival and parallel institutions as well, such as uh, Bureau Ribbentrop. And if you're curious about that, uh, then go back about half a dozen podcasts to the one I did on Hitler's system of government, uh, and I think you'll find it it there. Hitler's um, decisions to um, not define spheres of influence to his ministers and, and ministries and have overlapping competencies... And rivalries. Some historians have suggested that this was Hitler's clever plan to prevent any rivals from emerging, but I have a more simple thesis. It's one that um, Ian Kershaw mentions in his biographies of Hitler that he was a man who was thoroughly mediocre, um, a man of uh, very little uh, talent and intellect who through um, of a range of circumstances and his for- the force of oratory had made it to high office and who was, as a result of Nazi propaganda and of our kind of uh, perverse fascination with him ever since, has been engulfed in this idea of the Hitler myth. The the reality, as Ian Kershaw says, is here is a, a quite a, an average man of average abilities, whose um, understanding of the workings of government, left no, limited understanding of the workings of government, actually left him quite out of his depth. Uh, and I think that, for, for me, is a much more realistic uh, thesis. Um, no doubt the confusion that he sowed worked to his advantage, But I sometimes question whether he was capable of actually creating and and planning through um, the level of of chaos he created or whether it was just uh, a product of his own um, lack of ability and the inclination that he had, as we've already discussed, from his ideological position, his history... Um, within the party as a charismatic leader, and from the very ideas um, of fascism itself, which, as I said in the previous podcast, were kind of ideas which were fairly alien to the workings of bureaucracy that were kind of injected into a well-functioning bureaucratic system, perhaps in Germany uh, in the 1930s, uh, the uh, best functioning bureaucratic system in the world. I'll be continuing looking at the development of Hitler's government uh, over the next uh, few weeks. So if you find this interesting, do continue to uh, subscribe and download. And if you can give us a nice write-up either on our Facebook page, which is really thriving at the moment, or on iTunes, then I'd be very, very grateful. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed this and I'll catch you on the next Explaining History podcast.